Are you ready to lighten up, tighten up, shed, and shred with plant-based protein, antioxidant fruits, organic greens and veggies, plus gut health? For a fraction of the cost you are already spending, this super 30-day program may support you to build muscle, burn fat, reset metabolism, lift brain fog, increase productivity, break addictions, nourish, detoxify, and cleanse. Are you ready to look and feel your best? Replace 60 organic meals for only $11 a day with live, organic, non-GMO superfood nutrition delivered right to your door. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to superfoodswithjen.com. It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD, blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. This is Jen. It is great to be with you guys and I've just gotten back from traveling and I miss the beautiful mountains of Maryland and here we are and I I, uh, had the opportunity to reach out to somebody that I think is timely given a lot that's going on that we may not even be aware of. If you may recall, in the past, I've had Peter Pry on with me, who is the director of the EMP Task Force, which is an unfunded Congressional Advisory Committee and a nonprofit. So we're going to have him speak to us a little bit about what's going on. You know, when we're in the midst of what I'm going to call a, a potential energy crisis. I mean, think about it. Our gas prices are growing. And in the process, we're moving more to electric vehicles. That's the drive, right? This whole green uh, mandate from certain individuals on the far left who think that that's the solution, that we should just be electric. We should just go to power electric, right? And, And convert it from wind or solar, whatever we do, right? Well, maybe not. So good morning, Peter, and welcome to Success Happens. It's good to have you back. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and I I thought, first of all, you could expand on a little bit your background because I think it's important for people to understand. Could you share with people just in a moment uh, your background? I've spent my whole professional career in the national security community working on various forms of weapons of mass destruction, nuclear, chemical, biological The one that's always worried me the most is electromagnetic pulse EMP because it's the least understood and it's potentially the greatest threat to our civilization. I've served as the uh, chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission for 17 years. I was on the Congressional Strategic Posture Commission, the director of the U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum. I served in the House Armed Services Committee and the CIA. Okay, so you have a a storied background in terms of national security, this being, to your point, one of those national security risks that I think people probably least understand because of the, you know, we talk about nuclear war and World War III and so forth. Some people think, you know, I've even seen it recently, WW3, I'm thinking, my goodness, are we there yet? Is that really where we are? I have with me today Peter Pry, who's an expert in what's called electromagnetic pulse, and that's otherwise referred to as EMP. So could you bring us up to speed on from where you sit 
in relation to this EMP and the national security issues that we're facing. Can you go into where you think we are at this point in time? Sure. Well, an EMP is inevitable. It's going to happen for sure someday because uh, Mother Nature can cause an EMP from the sun, you know, like the 1859 Carrington event, which if it happens, you know, we get a solar superstorm that can cause a an EMP every century, 150 years. NASA estimates that 12% per decade is the risk, which is extremely high. It means within our lifetimes, that of our grandchildren, no later than that, a natural EMP is going to happen, and it can knock out electric grids and uh, all the life-sustaining critical infrastructures, water, communications, food, the natural gas pipelines will stop working, and that'll put billions of lives at risk because we can't survive without our electric grid, without our electronic civilization. Then there's a nuclear EMP threat that can be executed by anyone who has a nuclear weapon. North Korea, Russia, China, uh, potentially terrorists. You know, when Iran gets the bomb, I think they already have the bomb, and Iran's the world's leading sponsor of international terrorism. And then one of the things least talked about and least understood, but some people think it's the biggest threat, is the non-nuclear EMP threat. You know, because there are weapons that can be built. In fact, there are devices that are have legitimate industrial uses that can be purchased by anybody and then used as a weapon. Now, they're not as powerful and the radius of effect is not nearly as great as a nuclear AMP. But if you had a team of terrorists running around the country, it wouldn't take many. Uh, in my new book, Blackout Warfare, I, you know, I calculate that, uh, you know, a handful of terrorists in 24 hours could take down the whole U.S. power grid in uh, 24 hours, uh, you know, just fewer than a dozen people uh, using only non-nuclear EMP weapons. And that would put us basically in the same kind of a situation as if an EMP from the sun or a nuclear EMP attack happened. And uh, the EMP commission in which I served uh, calculated that if we had a nationwide blackout that lasted a year, we could lose up to 90% of our population to starvation, disease, and societal collapse. Well, that's shocking. And I think what we want to look at then is what are we doing to prevent that? What um, measures have they put in place? What funding do you need, frankly? You know, we're just talking about the infrastructure bill, bill, which is what kind of prompted me to reach back out to you and say, you know what? I know Peter had talked about in the past that you needed the money and you just said you're unfunded. So what is it that you need? And I guess we're calling upon Congress to give you what you need so that we can prevent that outcome. Well, to their credit, a lot of people blame the White House and the Congress for not acting on the EMP threat. But in fact, they have. The White House and uh, the Congress have provided all the direction and all the uh, powers that are needed in the current the Peter for clarification do you mean in the current White House or the prior administration under Trump well both uh, you know Trump passed the executive order an excellent EMP executive order I helped write it uh, you know and as did the EMP Commission uh, and uh, it was designed to get the country protected very quickly and Biden one of the few good things he's done is he has not rescinded that executive order in fact, the administration actually did reach out to me, you know, at a lower level, you know, for advice on how to implement this EMP executive order. And the Congress, on a bipartisan basis, 
incorporated the executive order into the National Defense Authorization Act back in 2020, which gives it the force of law. So it's not just an executive order, but in effect, Congress is saying we agree with the president. In that case, it was with President Trump. But the law is still in effect. We agree with this presidential executive order, and you guys are legally obligated to implement it. And then there's the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act that requires the Department of Homeland Security to uh, work with utilities uh, to launch pilot projects, you know, to to get the country protected. You know, the problem is, is that, you know, I think we didn't really fully understand until the Trump administration that there's this thing called the deep state, you know, the federal bureaucracy that's always there. And these people can't be fired. And they and they. They think they know better than the White House and uh, and the Congress and the EMP Commission, and um, and they're going to do what they want to do. Now they would deny that, and they would say, "Oh no, we're implementing this EMP executive order," uh, and they would point to the infrastructure bill, which does spend millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, as a matter of fact, on uh, on what they would call EMP protection. But it isn't really, you know, what it's funding is more studies more studies to be done by the Department of Energy and their buddies in the Beltway Bandit community. Well, that you know, just we uh, let me just stop you, because I think that just puts a lot, a lot of money in a bunch of people's pockets and makes people rich. It doesn't keep us safe. So what are exactly. we going to do? What do we need to do to stop that nonsense? Because we know it's a threat. I mean, I'm an idiot on this stuff, and I know it's a threat based on what you've told me. So... What do we need to do to ensure that they start putting the measures and the protections in place? Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Need, yeah, go ahead. They need, to, they need to install search arresters and blocking devices on extra high-voltage transformers. They need to put SCADA's supervisory control and data acquisition systems that basically run the electric grid. And, and really run every everything. Everything's got skaters in it. They've got to put those in Faraday cages so they can be protected. They should, uh, in, the, in the long term, we should do what we've done. You know, we've, we as a civilization have already protected ourselves against a commonplace form of EMP called lightning. Uh, in the EMP world, it's called E2 EMP. And we never talk about it because almost everything is already protected against lightning. And it happened without taxpayers' money being spent, and it happened with a lot of, without a lot of political argument or controversy, because the people who manufacture electronics realize that, you know, lightning happens all the time. Whatever we make has got to be able to survive lightning. And even the personal computer in your desk is hardened against lightning. It's got a little surge arrestor and the plug that will, that will if a lightning strike hits a power line, it'll protect the personal computer from being fried. And they did that by adopting design standards, engineering standards, so that everything has to meet the E2 EMP standards so it's protected against lightning, just as a matter of course. And we could do that same thing. In addition to the immediate emergency measures that I just described, you know, we should start requiring at least the electronics that are most important to the survival of 330 million Americans, that things like transformers and skaters and generators and the, the big stuff that keeps our civilization going should have the EMP hardness designed right into it when it comes into, it goes into the factory. That when they designed the thing originally, uh, 50 years of experience in the Department of Defense indicates that it only adds about 1% to 6% to total cost. Even yeah, automobiles. I mean, why wouldn't we do that? I mean, that just is, a, of course, it's kind of like you build a refrigerator and you put certain things in it to make sure it, it lasts. So. 
appreciate you being here with us, Peter. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. KW Photography Design and Flamingo Pool Supply. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Peter Pry, and we are talking about electromagnetic pulse and the various uh, what they call energy-directed weapons, so these different ways that we can be attacked without a bomb going off. Welcome back, Peter. Can you go into the utilities and how they're affected? What are they providing in the infrastructure bill to actually provide these mechanical protections. I think we have enough information. Now let's get it done. So what part of the utilities playing in it? Well, they aren't providing anything in the infrastructure bill, unless there's a classified annex to the infrastructure bill. But I doubt that. That would be extremely hopeful. Uh, the infrastructure bill only provides money for m- more studies, which, as we noted in the earlier segment, is just a waste of time. You know, we've uh, we already know everything we need to know to protect the grid right now. Of course, it's always useful to know you can come up with faster, cheaper ways of doing it. But the international situation is so unstable, and the sun, unpredictable in terms of when an EMP happens. You mentioned to me you have a concern about Ukraine. Can you please fill up, uh, the listeners in on that? Well, not just my concern, but uh, NATO and Washington is... Uh, we're in the midst of a, a major international crisis with Russia. They've mobilized over 100,000 troops again on the on the Ukrainian border. And there's widespread fear in Washington and NATO that Russia might invade Ukraine and take it over the way they took over Crimea. And they might even go beyond that and take over the frontline NATO states, the Baltic states, Poland, you know, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, all those former East European states that used to belong to the Warsaw Pact. Our own war games show that Russia can just walk over those areas and capture them in 72 hours, and there's really nothing we can do about it. Why Ukraine? Well, Russia considers it part of uh, part of its empire. All of those countries, they considered part of their empire. And uh, R- Russia, in its paranoia, says that it's fearful of being invaded from the West, because historically it has been invaded many times from both the East and and the West, and that shapes their strategic perceptions. And they want to move their frontiers as far to the to the West as possible, you know, to have defensive depth. That's what they claim. But it also gives them the ability to forward deploy their forces so they can threaten Western Europe, which is probably their real agenda. Let's they won't be happy China. until they're in a, on, in a, on the English Channel. Then they'll feel, then maybe, then even then they probably won't feel safe. What is your concern that ties that Ukraine issue to EMPs? Well, if Russia does launch an invasion of Ukraine or of NATO, in their military doctrine, you know, they believe that the use of cyber warfare and EMP is a revolutionary new new way of warfare. And any attack like that would probably be preceded by a cyber EMP attack on the United States to knock us out of the game to attack our technological Achilles heel so we could not intervene. And indeed, if it was as effective as they hope it is, they might not even need to unleash the tank armies and the air forces and the navies. They could achieve their conquests just with uh, EMP and cyber warfare. And by the way, Russia basically knocks out big parts of the Ukrainian grid as part of its exercise. And almost every Christmas, you know, they make a cyber attack on Ukraine and 
uh, you know, black out substantial parts of the country. So they've been practicing to do this. Gotcha. Now let's talk about China, because China just tested something recently that gave them the capability of getting an EMP over the U.S. in space. Can you share with us about that? Right. It's an uh, unprecedented space superweapon. Its technical name is a Fractional Orbital Bombardment System slash Hypersonic Glide Vehicle. You know, what they did is they, uh, you know, put into orbit, you know, a, a hypersonic glide vehicle, basically, uh, that orbited the Earth and then descended to attack a target at low altitude. Some people claim that it missed the target. In fact, that's what people are constantly saying, that it missed the target by 20 miles. But if they were practicing an EMP attack, and that's what fractional orbital bombardment systems, or FOBs, are usually designed to do, to make EMP surprise EMP attacks, because we have almost no early warning against them or no early warning at all. And if you're talking about the EMP world, a nuclear EMP attack from a hypersonic glide vehicle, the area of effect is so large that 20 miles is not a miss. That's a spot-on bullseye, because the area of effect is hundreds of kilometers in radius. So that's plenty accurate for doing the surprise EMP attack. The idea of this is to launch something to the south, you know, so that it would cross over the south polar regions and then approach the United States from the south. We don't have any ballistic missile early warning radars or interceptors facing south. We didn't during the Cold War. We don't today. We're blind and defenseless from that direction. And then when the thing is over the United States, the hypersonic glide vehicle or a cluster of them, you know, can descend and put peak fields on each of the half dozen or dozen critical targets, you know, like our ICBM wings, our bomber bases, which there aren't that many, and NORAD headquarters, maybe Washington, D.C., you know, to paralyze not only in our nuclear retaliatory forces and our military capabilities, but that would also knock out our electric grid, which also would be a crippling blow to us militarily, because 99% of the electricity used by our military comes from the electric grid. Okay, so that's quite a bit for people to digest. If you were to summarize what you want Congress to do, what exactly are you looking for in terms of funding and actions by, and I say the utilities ought to be involved in this as well. I mean, they should be providing some of these infrastructure protections. But what are you asking them to give you and do outside of let's talk about it some more well the utilities can't be trusted i mean they've been the biggest obstacle to this and they don't understand emp or cyber so i'd rather have the defense experts the defense contractors who have hardened military systems against emp to do the work not the electric power industry that has demonstrated it can't even protect texas against ice storms or the california grid against high winds let alone sophisticated threats like cyber and EMP. You know, it would not cost much money to harden at least the bulk power system. The EMP Commission had a plan that would cost about 2 to $4 billion, which is nothing compared to what we're spending on the infrastructure bill. We could probably, with good planning, protect all the critical infrastructures for about $20 billion, which, again, is nothing compared to what we're spending on the infrastructure bill. The National Institute for Standards, you know, should work with the uh, the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, okay. uh, which is supposed to regulate the electric power industry. Although they have, they're really in the electric power industry's pocket, uh, should require the standards that I described earlier 
perhaps it should be done by executive order from the White House, which is something that I have recommended. We actually have a, a cybersecurity czar in Ann Neuberger, who is working in the White House, our first cybersecurity czar in the White House. They should require future SCADAs and uh, transformers that are vital to the grid to be manufactured hardened to EMP. Congress should be holding hearings, uh, drag the uh, Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Energy in front of Congress and say, how come you guys are not expeditiously implementing our the EMP executive order and the law that requires you to harden the electric grid? There's about a half a dozen people, actually, that are holding up the train embedded in the Department of Energy and the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. You know what? I believe in telling the truth here. Who are those half a dozen people, Peter? You willing to call them out? No, I'm not, because I'm a congressional advisory board, and I, I still have to work with these people. But I'll tell you a person who's no longer there, uh, you know, who was Yeah, let's throw that person under the bus. That works. Uh, You know, a guy named Chris Krebs. You know, he had been, uh, he was an Obama holdover that President Trump kept on and even promoted to being the director of the Critical Infrastructure Security Agency, the agency responsible for protecting electric grids and other critical infrastructure from cyber warfare and from EMP. And Krebs did everything he could. I wrote a, a book about this called The Power and the Light. I've got a whole chapter in there about the sabotage that Krebs, if you want their names, you can go get my book. I do name their names in the book, okay? And Krebs was uh, among the most important of them, who was sabotaging the president's EMP executive order and uh, and undermining, doing everything he could to slow roll it, uh, to prevent the actual implementation of the order. The president wouldn't fire him until a couple of days after the elections, because CISA is also responsible for the integrity of elections. And when Krebs declared the 2020 elections to be the the most transparent and fairest elections in American history, then he got fired. Well, that's my next show, so stay tuned. We're going to be covering election integrity next. So that's interesting that you tie those two together. So to wrap up, Peter, and I have with me today Peter Pry, who's an expert on these uh, concerns that we have about keeping America safe. It's really up to we, the people now, to force and pressure our elected officials and bureaucrats who are unelected, who are making decisions like this Krebs, that impact our everyday lives. Because when our electric goes out, guess what? They're not going to be able to be on the phone with us telling us how to fix it. Lots of people right now are buying generators. Generac is backed up till next June if you want to buy a generator of any size or substance. How do individuals who are buying these generators protect them if indeed the electric grid goes down? How do we make sure as as Americans that we're protected because we've spent the money to have that generator? Well, the generator is less important than other things. But one thing you can do to protect a generator that's very easy is you'll see there's a uh, two settings on the generator. One is automatic so that as soon as you lose power, the generator turns itself on. And the other one is manual. So you've got to go outside and turn the generator on after you lose power. If you're worried about EMP, you should have it on the manual setting. You know, because if it's on the automatic setting, you know, the EMP will go right to the wiring of your house and into the generator and potentially burn out the generator. But if it's on the manual setting, then you've created a break so that the, the pulse probably won't get into the generator. But you could also put the generator in a metal shed, you know, designed like a Faraday cage, which is really easy. You know, no windows, 
tight-fitting door and all that, everything electromagnetically contiguous, or you could put it in a, con- a, 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 a masonry structure made, made out of concrete block or with a tile roof, because that will also decrease its vulnerability. More important, I mean, and having a generator, having some electricity to your house is important so that you'll have running water. I mean, that's the main thing. That's crucial. So, Peter, what would be a list of preparedness you would suggest to uh, ensure their safety? Stockpile food and water, have a medicine kit, and know how to use it. Think about where you live. Do you live in a major metropolitan area? Do you have a place in the country? It's going to be safest to be in the country. Do you have relatives or friends who you might develop a plan so that you could relocate to someplace safe. Thank you, everyone. You're listening to Success Happens. It's been such a pleasure to have Peter Pry with us today talking further about updates on this electric magnetic pulse and the concerns that we have in our everyday lives of how to live should we be under attack from above. And Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll certainly have you back again soon. Welcome back to Success Happens. This is Jen, and I have with me today Peter Husey, my dear friend and expert on all things China and the Far East. And we're talking about supply chains and really the condition that's bringing some perhaps conflict our way in terms of China and uh, what's going on in Taiwan right now, which is incredibly concerning because strategically they're important to us. So I want Peter to expand on that. Take us from the supply chains and the importance of having, I'm going to say, good quality products that we can trust coming from that area into our economy and our consumer goods and making sure that we retain our allies in that region so that we're we're safe. So can you speak to that? Well, the whole point of what China's up to is they want to, Uh, make so much money that they can buy in Africa, Central America, and Asia, people who used to be our allies, but have their ports and their facilities and their banking and their trade all controlled by China, which cuts us out and cuts them in. Therefore, they have a lot of money left over, which in which they can modernize their military, which is what they're doing, as our military officers say, in a way we have not seen even Russia do during the height of the Cold War. We're seeing increases that are extraordinary. For example, China is building over what appear to be 350 silos with missiles in them that can carry up to 10 warheads. You can do the math. 350 times 10 is 3,500. That is 266% of what America has deployed now in its entire nuclear arsenal. It's even more than what Russia has. So when you then say that's the what, Why are they doing that? Ah, that's my next, I'll I'll get right there. That's what I'm going to. Why would they be doing this? They have the largest Navy in the world now. And what they're doing is they want to take over Taiwan. This is kind of the thing that the thorn in their side. Taiwan represents the legitimacy of a democratic way of running the world and a country. And they hate that because it undermines their sense of legitimacy of the Chinese people. They know they don't want to get into a full-scale war with us over Taiwan. What they want to do is bully us and blackmail us to stay away. That means they have missiles that can take out our aircraft carriers. That means they have hypersonic missiles that can go after our key facilities in Guam or Japan or South Korea. 
And they're building up nuclear weapons where they can bully us like John F. Kennedy did to the Russians in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We had enormous superiority and that made us able to kick them out of Cuba. They would like to keep us out of the region. So they take down the banking system in Taiwan, the internet and the uh, grid, and then drop in paratroopers after paralyzing the country and basically say to the United States, you don't want to mess with us because we can go nuclear because we got a lot of these things now and you, the, it's not worth a candle. Then the question is, that's the why and the what. The third question is when, when are they going to do this? There's something called the window of opportunity that is opening up, and that is we're not going to modernize our weapon systems across the board, conventional nuclear, until 2032 to 2035, 2040, in that time frame. And it's going to be cumulative. In between, we're actually going to reduce our weapons because they're old and cost a lot to maintain, and we're going to save 3 to $5, 6000000000 billion a year by getting rid of old stuff in order to use that money to put in research and development for new stuff. So the Chinese are calculating, hmm, when do I act? Do I act? Uh, our military leaders, General Hyten, who is our vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs, is just retiring Friday. And we have Admiral Richard, who is head of strategic command in Omaha. He is the number one military commander over all things space, cyber, and nuclear. He's saying the Chinese window is between now and 2030. Okay? And it has to do with Taiwan. So we got a problem. We know what they're doing. They're building massively. We think we know why it's over Taiwan. The only question is, when do they do this? And that, Jennifer, is why if we show restraint or stumble because of budget reasons or arms control or the nuclear posture view we do, and we slow things down and say, oh, if we're just nice, the other guys will be nice back. There are dozens of articles written recently by the arms control community advocating just that. So, you know, today has really been focused on the impact of China and these, you know, we started with Peter Pry and talking about EMPs. I know you and Peter know each other well and our colleagues. So is there anything else that you see from your perspective that could really have us in U.S. worried about EMPs yes. in the near future? Yes. What we saw with the, the Chinese launched a space launch vehicle as opposed to a, a, an ICBM missile. And they put up in the sky and then orbited the entire Earth. And then from that satellite launched a hypersonic vehicle that went from space all the way back to China. And everybody said, well, it missed the target by 20 miles. Well, General Hyten was asked yesterday, did they hit the target? And he said, close enough. As Peter has said, EMP at 20 kilometers is just fine. Okay. But General Hyten was interviewed by CBS News and he said something very extraordinary. He said this weapon, this hypersonic weapon we're talking about, is a weapon of surprise and going first. And as the number two guy at NORTHCOM, North Command, which is responsible for protecting continental United States, said at a conference a couple of weeks ago, he said the Chinese are up to two things. It's called surprise and paralysis, meaning they're going to surprise us with an attack we won't see coming and we won't know where it comes from. And second, because as Peter Price says, EMP can take down the grid, they can take down, it was cyber, take down our banking system, our information system, our ports and everything gets stopped working. Even if it's for a week, doesn't matter. That is paralysis. He said they want to surprise attack us and leave us paralyzed, not knowing who did it and where do we retaliate. But then we look and say, man, we can't. 
and all they need is a week or 10 days, war over. That's what General Hyten said. In his view, these weapons are first strike surprise weapons. And the head of NORTHCOM said that the same thing just to, about 10 days ago at a conference here in Washington. So okay, we are so facing... Let me ask you this. If yes. indeed that occurred, where would we be left? Okay. We've done a study here at the Mitchell Institute on what if the Chinese are already in Taiwan? Can we get them out? The answer is no. What if it's a protracted battle? They're trying to get in and we're trying to keep them out. We run out of munitions within a matter of months, very quickly. We just don't have enough stockpiled stuff, okay? The only way we stop them is to stop them from ever going there in the first place, which is called deterrence. That's where we are. And then the question is, do they believe our deterrent is credible? Meaning we can wax them if they try anything. And second, they have to believe that the leadership in the United States is willing to use that force to stop China. And that is a calculation that is, I can't prove it on a piece of paper, but to me, there are two points. One, you got to have the weapons and the credible force, but then you have to have the credible leadership that says, hey, don't mess with me. I think we can all agree that that doesn't No, 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 exist, don't go there, so. Jennifer. Be nice. <laughs> Be nice. That, that's we, an issue we which can we only on have one administration. We have to buck that administration up as much as possible, well, make it as strong as that. possible. Let, let's John's be nice. going to snore through that one. But let me ask you. <laughs> let me let me just go back to something. Yes. This is if it relates to Taiwan. But my question to you is, if they shut down our power grid and we have these issues here, our homeland is also not secure. So this well, is great. not yes. only about Taiwan. It also is about our own national security at risk. Exactly right. The whole point is. If you want to keep the United States from going from the United States to Western Pacific to protect Taiwan or from Japan or South Korea, we don't have everything there. We're 1,500 miles, 1,200 kilometers away in Guam. Okay, so we're not right there. They are. So they have much shorter supply lines. They have much shorter ways to go with airplanes, submarines, and so forth. So if they take our grid down or our IT and stuff doesn't work here, you think the American people are going to be worried about Taiwan? No, they're going to be worried about where the heck my ATM machine isn't working. My phone, I can't get a, uh, get my friends on the phone and the electricity's off and holy cow, the water doesn't work. We're going to be paralyzed and we stay home and our allies go under. That's what the Chinese are up to. As I said, Tun Tzu said, the acme of war is to win without having to fight your enemies. You get them to stand down. And in this crazy world of cyber and uh, EMP type things, it's not the traditional World War II or World War I or even Korean War or Vietnam War or Desert Storm. Saddam stood there for what, five months waiting for us to build up? Chinese aren't going to wait around for us to build up to go into Taiwan, right? We're, we're at the end of the show, and I just want to thank you again for being available. I mean, it's just amazing to listen to you and your expertise on these subjects. And, and I think that what I want the listeners to come away with today is mm -hmm. there is a reason to be concerned. Therefore, you must be prepared. You really must be prepared. You cannot be caught off guard here, guys. So make sure that you you know listen to the show send the podcast out to people uh peter pry mentioned a number of things to be prepared to make sure that you're ready should we lose power in a significant way 
Peter, thank you so much. And I, and I, I want people to understand that you have the power to write your congressmen and women, to write to the people in legislative power, to let them know it is not okay that they don't take the necessary steps to shore up our electric grid. It can't be about any more analysis paralysis. It must be they put the things in place to ensure that we do not lose power should this occur. It's so, real simple. We put lightning rods on our home, on our roof to protect us lightning. You can protect the grid for between six and eight billion dollars. That's what leaders are responsible for when we elect them to Congress. The people out there rise up and speak like you spoke in Virginia. Rise up and speak like you can do. You will change Washington. I love it. That's a great way to end the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Success Happens. Thank you, Peter Husey. Thank you to Peter Pry. Have a great week, everyone. Listen to us next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Free Talk 930 WFMD. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sweeties on the Creek. We're scooping now. KW Photography and Design and Flamingo Pool Supply. Have a great week.